Hello, welcome to Mets Musings. Uh, I had another show planned for this week. It was all done, all set to go. All recorded, all edited, everything was done. And then I got the news about Tom Seaver passing away. He was 75 years old. He passed peacefully in his sleep complications of Louis body... L-E-W-Y, body dementia, and COVID-19. His family was at his side. Tom Seaver was a great pitcher. And for all you young fans out there, I feel sorry for you that you never got to see him pitch. You see snippets on the on the uh, on YouTube or the internet, but it's just not the same. Tom Seaver was a magnificent specimen. You know how they say uh, Harvey Knight. Well, there was nothing bigger than when Tom Seaver pitched. It was an event. It was a New York event. And it was a thrill to go to a game and see him pitch. To watch him dig into the dirt. To get that foot in there. To get that knee down, touching the uh, the, the mound as he followed through. You knew Tom was going to have a good night when he had that right dirt all over his knee. They don't make pitches like that anymore. Seaver won 311 games, had a 2.86 earned run average, struck out 3,640 batters over a 20-year Major League career. He earned 12 All-Star selections. He led the National League in wins three times, ERA three times, and strikeouts five times. He was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1992 when he was named on 98.8% of the ballots. That was the highest total, highest voting percentage ever received at that time. Since eclipsed by, uh, of course, uh, Mariano Rivera and uh, Ken Griffey Jr. But they can never eclipse what he did on the field. He was fantastic. He was an all-around player. You could feel this position. Hit, loved to hit, loved to run the bases was always a joy when he was pitching to go watch the game. It was just a different level of baseball. He made everybody better on the field. They didn't want to make a mistake. There was just that touch more of sharpness in everybody's game. Don't know why. It's just human nature, I guess. He was a true leader, and everybody loved him. And we'll miss him. And the Mets have been, how shall we say this? The Mets have been neglectful. Yes, now they named Tom Seaver Way. They have the address in the street. That was great. But this should have been done years ago when he could have enjoyed it. 
when he closed Shea Stadium with Mike Piazza and then the next season opened City Field, that would have been the time. He would have been able to enjoy it. It should be a statue to Tom Seaver at City Field. It's time. Fortunately, now it's too late for Tom, but his family can enjoy it. But come on, Mets, let's do something. You've been talking about it. You say it's going to happen. Make it happen. Tom Seaver, the franchise, dead at the age of 75. Rest in peace, Tom, and thank you. I thought at this time what may be appropriate to do this week, instead of doing uh, the show we had planned, I thought that I would uh, rerun an episode of uh, my interview with Art Chamsky when he was on the first time I interviewed Art Chamsky when he was on. And uh, we talked about uh, his book, After the Miracle, the story uh, about the 69 Mets and the trip to visit Tom Seaver uh, the, the last time probably most of those guys went. So uh, I hope you'll enjoy that interview again. And uh, we'll see you next time. Al from uh, Mets Musings, thank you for coming on today. How are you? I'm very Good. well. How are you? Good. Expecting your call. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? I, I'm I'm very well, and 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 it's a real pleasure and uh, and an honor to have you on. Uh, I was a 16 year old kid in uh, 1969, so everything's pretty vivid in my memory. <laughs> good for you. Yeah. Good. Yeah. It's. Uh, I'm meeting a lot of people who weren't even born when I played, so that's a little scary. But it's nice to talk to somebody who's who's. Uh, Got some memory, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and and uh, you know, let's start off by saying, can you believe that it's fifty years already? Well, you know, it's 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 hard to believe in a sense, but on on, on the other hand, you know, I live in the New York City area, mm -hmm. and and for me, it, it seems like every day somebody talks to me about that team. For those of us like myself and Eddie Cranepool and Buddy Harrelson, who who hasn't been well but still lives in the area, for us who have done so many things over the years. I don't think we feel it the same way as some of the guys who live outside of the area and don't, don't do as many things. Uh, we all, we're constantly doing personal appearances mm -hmm. and, and, and things of that nature. And so, and I, and I live in the city and I'm reminded every day about having been played, having played for that team. Somebody hears my name or recognizes me or something. And, and that team has been, the legacy of that team has been passed on from generation to generation. So people remember it, um, um, you know, talk about it and, and, and they know how important we were to the city of New York and to the country to some extent. So, um, I'm, I'm, it, it's been, I know it's been 50 years. I don't feel like it's been 50 years, but the reality of it is I've gotten older. So it, it's been 50 years. So <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've joined you too with that getting old stuff. <laughs> Well, I, I like to use the word older. Not, older, not so okay. Much. I like that. I like that. Um, 
the book is 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 a terrific read. It's just uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, uh, you know, to me, it's this generation's boys of summer. It really is that poignant at times, uh, especially to me as a sixty-six-year-old Met fan. The the um, the opening chapter and the closing chapter were really uh, the ones that really brought a bunch of emotions to me, um, both happiness and, and, and sadness. And, and I'm not saying it's a sad book, uh, not by any means. It's, it's, it's uh, a fascinating book and it's well read, well read and, and well written. Um, but uh, to me as a fan, I'm just saying that it, it, it brought about all, all kinds of emotions and uh, recalled the time that was, uh, you know, I know it was a turbulent time in our history, but I really had a good summer that year. <laughs> and it, yeah, it was a great year for New York sports with the Jets first winning in, in January and then us winning in October and, and then the Knicks winning in May of uh, 70. And I, my first book was The Magnificent Seasons, mm-hmm. and I wrote about those three teams who right. – all of us had won for the first time. Nobody had ever won before. But, but this book was different. Um, there's been so many books written about that team. Um, and when I sat down with Eric Sherman, who co-wrote it with me, we talked about what we wanted to do for this 50th anniversary. And my thought was that instead of doing something where, you know, everybody could go online and see the day-to-day games that went on, mm-hmm. and even though we talk about those a little bit, some of those special games, et cetera, I, I, we wanted it, both Eric and I wanted it to be something special. And, and it's interesting that you said that about the first and the last couple of chapters, because it, if we, we felt like we wanted to, to, to get emotional about this, because in my mind, the book is about uh, friendships, mm-hmm. um, love to some extent about your teammates, and also about aging. I mean, the fact is that we've all gotten older and we've lost uh, about 10 members of that team. And, and now we have uh, guys that are ill, and, and, and so it is, it's a reality. And so so for me, um, that part is sad, but the reality of it is that the, the fact that the team kind of lives on forever is something that all of us uh, who were part of that team can cherish because it was such a special time. And when we went out to, to see Tom, I knew then that, that um, well, first of all, that to go out there was really a challenge because – you know, we could have picked any guys to go out there, but I wanted Buddy to do it. It's important for us to be. But it could have been anybody. It could have been anybody on the team, and, and, and it also had to do with availability. Uh, um, and Ronnie Svoboda went out, and uh, and Jerry Kuzman was the other two, and then Eric Sherman and myself. And just coordinating guys to fly in. Ronnie's wife had, had been ill. She had just had surgery, and so that was a challenge. And, and so so – that part of it had to fall into place. But the most difficult thing was that when I talked to Tom, you know, a couple months before we were going to do this and I said, we want to come out and see you. And he said, great. And we had a great conversation. He said, but you got to call my wife, Nancy, because she'll coordinate. I might forget about the dates and everything like that. And I said, not a problem. So uh, I talked to Nancy a number of times. and, And the thing that she told me right off the bat was that, Tom has good days and he has bad days. And, and hopefully when you get out here, it'll be a good day. And so that was a challenge because we flew all the way out there from New York. And then Ron Sobota came from New Orleans and mm-hmm. Kuzman came from Minneapolis. And, and we had to meet at the same time to be able to drive to Calistoga. And 
And then at that, that even after that, we didn't know if Tom was going to be feeling well enough right. for us to stop by and see him. Well, it, it, it turned out he was fine, and, and we went out and we sat down at his house and we reminisced, and it was a, a, a great, great day. And then we ended up going to lunch and and um, down in Calistoga and, and spending time with him and reminiscing and, and everybody kind of throwing out things and, and laughing. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better situation. It turned out to be a beautiful day out there in Calistoga and Napa Valley, and Tom was one of those days he was feeling good, but he did tell us at the time that he didn't think he'd be traveling anymore. And that he was really for all intents and purposes was done with any baseball kind of things. He was just going to enjoy his life. He working in the, the wine fields. He had, he's got the three acres of wine and I think he's got a total of over a hundred acres, but, but just three acres of wine. And he goes out there every day and he prunes the wines and he does what he has to do to get the company that, that makes the wine get ready, and he enjoys that. But I knew back then that 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 even though the day was great and we really had a wonderful time reminiscing, that that um, I didn't know if he, I didn't probably I probably thought at that time he wasn't going to be traveling anymore. He had, he hasn't been to the Hall of Fame in a couple of years for the ceremonies, and I knew then that uh, he wasn't going to be coming back. And then when I heard the news last Thursday, oh. it was kind of kicking the gut. But it wasn't. I wasn't so surprised that while I was in shock because of a friend and a teammate, the fact that I knew then that he was having some memory problems. I said he had he had Lyme disease for over twenty years. Right. And mm-hmm. and that he got that in Connecticut before he even moved to California, and he's been dealing with that for over twenty years, and that directly affects your memory. So uh, I'm not a doctor, so I can't say exactly what what's <laughs> yeah. going on, but. But I do know that uh, that has some direct effect on his memory, and and um, and I think what he's going to do now is family's just going to enjoy his family and and um, take advantage of, uh, of of what he what he likes to do, and that's work in the wine fields and enjoy his life. So uh, we're I'm I'm hoping that that's that's the case, but I don't think he'll be traveling much anymore. Well, I I know. Uh that all the New York fans, Met fans, are, are praying for him and hoping that uh, he does have, uh, you know, can live out his days the way he wants to and uh, don't, doesn't let this uh, this thing beat him. I, I uh, My father had the same thing, and it's, it's a very sad disease. Um, but I, I think also that it, it adds a little, that news really added something to this book coming out. We're talking with Art Shamsky. He's got a book coming out after the miracle, The Lasting Brotherhood of the 69 Mets. And uh, I, I think that news really makes this book even more important because well, it may be the last time that you guys get all to get together yeah, with that, him. That, I think we even said that in the book. We, we, we got the feeling when we said goodbye um, you know, and again, I go back to the fact that we've lost 10 guys on that team, including our great manager, Gil Hodges, and, and uh, four of our coaches and, you know, key members of that team. Everybody who passed away was a key member of that team. And first with Cal Coons and then Don Cardwell and Tommy Agee and, and uh, Tug McGraw and uh, and you know it's 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 been a, it's been a, and now Ed Charles Ed a year Charles, ago it, yeah. it's been a sad sad state of affairs but that's the aging process and 
and and so while we have our memories and we rem- reminisce, we, we 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 sob for those guys who were part of this great team and and won't be around for the for this 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 fiftieth anniversary. But that team was very very special. And 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 listen, I admit it, I'm in New York. I'm still in New York because of it. It's uh, it's it's uh, it was a team. I played thirteen years, and for all intents and purposes, nobody ever talks about the other twelve. <laughs> it's really about. 1969. And, and, um, and I, I just, I'm just so happy to have been part of that team. I, you know, I get questions all the time saying, don't you wish you were playing now and making all the money? And I say, well, are you crazy? Of course. But the reality of it, for two reasons, I say, really, the, the reality of it is that I wouldn't trade this World Series ring that I have for anything and no amount of money. And the second thing is, I played with and against some guys in the mid 60s and early seventies that I believe was the greatest conglomerate of players in the history of baseball. And just the national league with Mays, Aaron Clemente. I played with Frank Robinson, Pete Rose, Johnny bench. McCovey. Look at all the great pitchers yeah. I played against in, in, in the national league with, with Colfax, Marischal, Drysdale, uh, Perry, Gibson, Carlton, Seaver, um, um, Ferguson Jenkins, uh, Jim Bunning. I mean, all these guys went on to be in the hall of fame and, and so I'm very lucky to have been part of not only that team, but that era of great players. But that team was so special and, and so memorialized. I, there's been so many books. I don't even know how many books have been written about that team. And so getting back to, the, you know, I'm kind of diversing a little bit here on, the, but getting back to the, the way we wanted to do the book is really, we wanted to do something different. And, 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 and while, while, you know, all, so many games were important that year and so many players contributed to the success of that team it was really about friendships and, and, and like I said, aging and, and dedication and trust for your teammates. And, and, um, and I think that's the important thing about the book. The timing with Tom is, is incredible. I mean, nobody wanted it, but mm-hmm. it's the fact that it's incredible timing with this going out. And, and I hope people that read it appreciate the fact that, that it was a, a team that everybody got along with, everybody loved everybody else, everybody pulled for everybody else. There was there was no animosity. There was no uh, judging anybody. Gil Hodges, our manager, was a great manager. And, and look what he did. He platooned in, in four or five positions and got the most out of everybody and was able to get guys on the bench who weren't playing much involved in the game and as it turned out, everybody on that team contributed to something, some success of that team. And look at Al Weiss, what he did in the World Series, and and um, and, and Don Clendenin, what he did, and and Rod Gaspar. You know, all these all these guys were part of that team. And I can go on and on with names and <laughs> Wayne Garrett yeah. and Charles. You know, but but it was a great group of guys. And and um, I'm just hoping people that read after the miracle just enjoy the closest that we had and. And um, I know people have said to me that the first chapter was a little sad and the last uh, couple chapters were, but, but the reality of it is that's life. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, and we all felt when we said goodbye to Tom that it was an emotional, emotional time. And that, uh, but we were so thankful that we got that, those moments to share and, and, and to tell some lies. Those stories might have been stretched out a little bit, but the reality of it is they were <laughs> golden moments. They were golden moments for all of us who were part of that that trip out there. And then talking to the guys in the course of writing the book is some of the some of the fun things that came back and some of the 
the, the, the momentous events that happened that year were so special and they still resonate with fans today. People still talk about the black cat, right. they talk about right. Tom's almost perfect game. that's yeah. taken on a life of its own. They talk about the Steve Carlton strikeout game with 19 and we win the game four to two because Swoboda hits two, two run home runs. I mean, I made the last out of a no hitter pitched against us that year. I mean, we can go on and on and on, and it's just crazy things that happen, but it's all part of the legacy of that team. And, and not to even mention what else went on in the world with the uh, Woodstock and man landing on the moon, but I wanted to talk a little bit about Gil Hodges. Uh, I'm of the belief he should be in the Hall of Fame, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I can remember interviews with Tom Seaver where he practically breaks down in tears when he talks about Gil Hodges. Uh, a number of the guys, he was so beloved on that team and so well-respected. Ed Cranepool often talks about uh, how he differed with him. And you speak on the book about how Sloboda said he wished he had more conversations, didn't fight with him as much. Uh, talk a little bit about Gil Hodges, if you will. Well, Gil was, uh, was the strength of that team. I was, he was a terrific manager. He managed by feel. And uh, what I mean to say is he... he felt the game uh, he made out lineups based on what he felt and and he knew that at some point he was going to have to get uh those guys at the end of the bench involved and and, and if he wanted them to do some 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 things that would help the team win over the course of the year and he did and so he i don't know he, he wouldn't i don't even know if he would like managing today with the saber metrics and right. all the printouts and everything but he was a manager of feel and and, and, and all of us respected what he had to say. I, I can honestly say that I didn't have that many conversations with him. Uh, um, he was a very strong disciplinarian, but we all respected him. And, 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 and even when he was platooning myself and Swoboda in right field and Clendenin and Cranepool and Weiss and Boswell and Garrett and Charles at third base and sometimes even Grody behind the plate with J.C. Martin and Duffy Dyer, um, we didn't like it. it. It wasn't good for our career, but it was working. And, and, and all of us who, 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 were, who were involved in that situation respected Gil, and he, was, he would look you in the eye and he would talk to you and tell you how he felt, and there was nothing, nothing that was you – know, you don't you want anything more from a manager than just be honest with you. But it was working, and we all accepted it, and we all pulled for each other. And, it, and look at if you, if you look at some of the collective numbers at each position, we had pretty good years. That's so what and myself, uh, we had almost an all-star year out there in right field, and Clendenin and Cranepool at first. And like I said, the other guys uh, collectively did really well. So it was working, and, and, and Gil, to his credit, was really the force. And I, I do believe that, like you, he should be in the Hall of Fame uh, for a number of reasons, and that would be another radio program, quite honestly. Yeah. <laughs> but he certainly, if you look at his numbers compared to some of the guys that are in there, like Cepeda and Perez and Santo, I mean, he's right up there in a lot of the categories. But but he died too young. Uh, he was 47, I think, oh. two days shy of his 48th birthday. And and I do believe the Mets would have won more World Series if he would have been around to to guide them. But but uh, he was a great manager because he demanded respect from his players and, and really was the catalyst. And when he came over in 68, which was my first year, mm-hmm. I remember in spring training, he basically said, you guys are not going to be the same old Mets. And for me, it was a new experience because I hadn't been with the Mets before that, but I had played against them. And you knew if you didn't win two out of three games against them, you were not, it was a lousy series. And so 
when when I got over and he was there, you knew it was going to be it was going to be no nonsense. And even though we finished ninth, uh, half game out of last place in '68, you knew that the the direction was going in the right way. And I think Gil uh, never got as much credit as he deserved for leading that team, but he certainly was the catalyst. And uh, I know you're a little uh, you're on a time schedule, um, but my producer wants me to ask you about the uh, uh, Cleon Jones in the World Series, the uh, shoe polish ball. Was that ah. <laughs> you were probably on the bench? For <laughs> well, that. here's the thing: as I tell everybody, um, I was on the bench because I was on the bench, and I was at the other end of the bench, and. And um, I, I know the whole scenario with the ball mm-hmm. hitting Cleon and rolling into the dugout and then Gil walking out with a ball with a little scuff mark on it. And, and the way Cleon tells it is he didn't want to go to first base even though he knows the ball hit him because he wanted to hit. Now, if you believe that story, I have a, a bridge for you to buy in the, <laughs> over, the, over the East River. But, uh, but the way it worked out is um, – um, the big argument and Cleon gets first base and, and uh, Glenn Denon then hit, then hits the home run. But I have to believe that Gil and in all his honesty, wouldn't have done anything shady, but I really didn't see. So I'm not the, the, not a person <laughs> to really ask, but, but there's all very varying stories about this. And the Kuzma's involved in that as always, he's always in the middle of something. And, and, um, but the uh, Cleon finally got smart and said, okay, let me go to first base, you know? And, yeah. uh, but he always claimed the ball did hit him, but he didn't want to go to first base because he wanted to hit off Dave McNally. So <laughs> I find that a little strange, but, but, um, but it was a, a strange game in a, in a strange year. Uh, one game of many that were unbelievable. The black cat, the almost perfect game. Right. I mean, so many things happened that we talked about before, but it was a year for us, and, and that year God was a Met fan. There's no doubt about it. But <laughs> but but it's so, it's so great to be able to talk to about it and to be, people like yourself and who remember it and and cherish those moments 50 years ago. Because um, you know, and you know, I don't think you'll ever see a, a year like that where three teams in New York win championships all for the first time. No. Nobody had ever won before, and so mm-hmm. so it was a, an incredible year for 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 sports in New York City and and. Now we're talking about it 50 years later, and, and it's it's really nice to be able to reminisce and, and remember those those wonderful times because they brought a lot of smiles to people's faces. And, and we were we were a team that made people feel better about their life. So the world was was really crazy back then with the war in Vietnam and all sorts of negative things. You mentioned Woodstock and the Walk on the Moon. Those are really two of the only kind of good things. I mean, everything else was bad news. And so... Right. But we kind of made people feel better about their lives for whatever brief time it was. And I think people are thankful for that and pass it on to to their kids and, and their kids' kids. And, and I always get people coming up to me saying, hey, you know, I was really strapped for money or I was in Vietnam in the worst place in the world. And you made me feel a lot better about where I was. And I said, I always tell myself, if I could have, I made somebody feel better about their life for a moment then I've accomplished something. And I think that's all of us who were part of that team feel like we were able to do that. It certainly was. And one quick memory for me, I was at the NLE's clinching game. We had gone to a game in August and decided to buy tickets in September towards the end of the season. We, We happened to buy that night purely by accident, had them a month ahead of time, went with my father, uh, and a friend of mine, uh, 
and uh, it was the most exhilarating feeling uh, ever in my lifetime as a 16-year-old kid up to that point to be there when the Mets first won something, you know? And, yeah, and, and part of it, part of it because of where they came from. Um, I can't exactly. take the blame for those early years because <laughs> I was with Cincinnati. But, but uh, those early years were really, really, people came to the ballpark to see them lose. Right. I mean, they, yeah. they did. They were, out of it by, they were out of it by June in terms of a, any kind of pennant race. And so, so for guys like Eddie Cranepool, who hit the home run in game three of the World Series, uh, it was like a, a revelation for him to be part of that, that winning team, to see of all the good, the bad, and the ugly that he saw. And so, and so people remember how bad that team went. And that particular game you're talking about was the first of three celebrations we had at mm-hmm. Chase Stadium. The field got torn up. But, right. but like you, we were all caught up in how exciting that was to, to be part of that experience. And and uh, and at that point, we didn't know we were going to win a pennant after that or a World Series. But just to win that division was really exciting for us. And we knew then that we had a, a really good team. And and that uh, I don't know the exact amount of games we won from from end of August on, but I believe we had an incredible record from the end of August on to the end of the season and ended up winning 100 games that year. And, you know, we beat a pretty good Baltimore team that won 108. Mm-hmm. It was three 20-game winners. So so, so we all, uh, we all feel like we really accomplished something. I do have a distinction, though, of making the last out of the only game we lost in the World Series. So... <laughs> If that's worth anything, uh, you know, at the time, nobody thought, everybody thought we might lose four in a row, but not us, not the team, but fans and some of the media. But we ended up winning the next game when Kuzman pitched a great game in Baltimore and then won the next three in New York and the rest is history. But you did hit 538 in the NLCS, so that's something, right? I had, I, I had, a, I had a great series against Atlanta. And didn't start and was frustrated. That's what I talked about before. Right. All of us were frustrated because I don't start the first game of the World Series. And then he sends me up to pinch hit against the left-hander, Mike Cuellar. <laughs> you know, I, I, I always tell people this story. It's, it's really interesting. You, 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 um, you think about your first that bad in the big leagues or your first that bad in professional baseball, maybe your first home run. But I must tell you, this is the honest to God truth. I think about that at bat. In the ninth inning of Game One in the World Series against Mike Quayer, and I do think about that every single day of my life. That one pitch that I hit the second base, yeah. I could have hit it out of the ballpark and been a hero, but I, I ended up grounding out. And it's interesting. I've done some great things in my career, but I always think about that at bat. So, so uh, I haven't told too many people about that, but that one at bat, I wish I could have back right now because he threw me a pitch right down the middle of the plate, Mike Quayer, and I just grounded out the second base, but. But uh, again, to be part of that team, to be part of that 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 excitement, and now fifty years later for me is very very special. Well, Art, I, again, I know you have a schedule to keep, and I kept you a little bit over, and I, and I could talk to you for hours about that year, and I thank wish we had more time. But I, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on today, and for that year and that team. And you guys, we just loved you guys so much. And, and, and I'm sure you know Thank that you. over the 50 years. But this is my my chance to say it to somebody from that team. I've told Cranepool, right, I've you. met Cranepool, and now I have my chance to say it to you. And I just want to thank you so much. I will tell you one story before we leave. Though. Okay. Over the years, over the years, um, 
I've had, I'm, I'm not venture. I'm, it, I'm probably pretty close to the right number. I've had 150,000 people come up to me to tell me they were at the last game when we won the world series. <laughs> and I know the ballpark only held 53,000. And so whatever they say to me is fine. If they think they were there, and uh, I say, really, you were there? He said, yeah, we have the tickets at home. So I believe him. So uh, I'm telling you, 150,000 people were there when we won the World Series. So God bless them. And, and you've made that impact on everybody. And this book is just, I, I, I mean, if you're a Met fan and you remember that year, you have to read this book. The book is just, as you say, it is a brotherhood. And it's so touching. It's so fascinating. It's just, I, I can't. I, I, I'm running out of adjectives to describe it, but uh, again, thank you for taking the time today. I thank so you. appreciate thank it. so much for those kind words. I hope people do get it, and and um, I'm curious of everybody's comments, and I hope I hope what it does is basically just touch people's lives and, and give them a little bit uh, of a remembrance of how great that team was. It certainly will, and, and thanks again, Art. My, my pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye now. Good.